If you've got a Bible with you, uh, get to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 13 today. We're starting chapter 13. Uh, if you need a good Bible to read at home, whether you're with us online or here in person out in the shed, if you need a good Bible to read at home, uh, please get one at Guest Connections. If you're not with us in person, let me know, and I would happy to get one to you. Just like our Bibles are not intended to sit on a shelf and to be looked at and look pretty, uh, so those Bibles uh, are intended to be uh, not just looking at the table and saying, wow, those look good, but they're intended to go out, just like our Bibles are intended to be read at home. And so if that would be a tool to you, uh, please grab one there before you walk out. A few things before we get into Luke 13. Uh, first of all, a building update. You've probably noticed in the past couple weeks, building materials being dropped off here in the backyard space. Last spring, we began to transform that backyard space. Uh, into the shed and the yard, the fire pit, the playground, the basketball uh, hoop, which is my pinnacle of that transformation, uh, in my humble opinion. The next step of that is a porch overhang on this uh, concrete patio outside that kitchen door. That was all part of the plan all along, but it's going to be a 20 by 50 porch. I don't know if you got a, a porch that size at home. Uh, we don't, uh, but that would be, it's going to be a great space for us to be able to use. We're excited to see that space continue to be transformed and used for ministry purposes. Okay. Next thing, outdoor services. As we move into May, we, we are hoping to have, uh, Lord willing, uh, a couple, one, two, three outdoor services in the month of May. So we'll see how the weather shapes up. We'll see how that backyard space shapes up and the construction of that. But if all those things align, uh, we hope to be outside for, uh, for at least one of those services in the month of May. We'll communicate that to you ahead of time. And so uh, be praying that that is able to happen. And then finally, missions update. Last Sunday, uh, Joel was praying uh, for the LeBlancs there this morning. But last Sunday, if you were not able to be with us, uh, please take time to listen or watch the service. There's lots of different ways, an app, a YouTube, Facebook, our website. It's on you to go listen and go watch. It's worthy of your investment of your time, okay? Last Sunday, we shared vision about a new missions partnership that we are forming with Ethnos 360 as they seek to reach an unreached people group in Papua New Guinea. The LeBlanc family was with us last Sunday who were traveling to Papua New Guinea along with other team members and other households to prayerfully pursue and live among an unreached people group and eventually, years down the road, Lord willing, by the Spirit's power to translate the Scriptures into their native language, to plant a church, to see that church growing into maturity and making disciples. I walked away last Sunday so very encouraged at, the, at this particular direction, at this mission endeavor, really encouraged by the LeBlanc family and their faith in Christ, encouraged by the direction of Ethnos 360 and their ministry philosophy. Also walked away and encouraged and challenged as a missionary myself because all of you who are Christ followers are missionaries. We are to live on mission. Joel prayed with that in mind this morning. And so uh, we are called, we are reached in order to reach unreached people. We are saved in order to be sent. And you are sent into workplaces, neighborhoods, our family just moved neighborhoods. We are sent into a new neighborhood to reach that neighborhood with the gospel and to show of the gospel to that neighborhood. And we go through, in this case, partnering with Ethnos 360, the LeBlancs, the Devouts. We, we go in going into our workplaces and uh, neighborhoods, schools, and listening to Michael and Morgan last week, you would be encouraged as a missionary 
There were just some nuggets there that I'm not going to give you. I want you to go listen, and I want you to go watch because the Spirit will lead you and encourage you as a missionary. If you didn't get a card, a prayer card for them, they're back at the, the table back there. Get that in front of you to be able to be praying for their household. Good and God-glorifying things are happening, church. Good and God-glorifying things are happening in the family of God and through the family of God. So let's continue to pray. Let's continue to be dependent upon the Spirit. And it's not about us. It's about His glory alone. So that was one message. Now we're going to look at Luke 13. You're probably there by now. We're going to look at the first nine verses. They say this, At that time, some people came and reported to Him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded, that, responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will perish as well. Or these 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed, do you think that they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to them, sir, leave, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year, but if not, you can cut it down. As a pastor, I've come to realize that there are certain drums that I will forever beat. And if you've been here a long time, you could probably name some of those drums that I beat. Biblical truths that seem to, to find their way into counsel, teaching, leadership, communication. Here's one of them. As Christ followers, we are to live with eternity in view and in mind. We are to think eternal, not just earthly. The world around us and our own flesh want to get us to just think earthly that this life is it, that the person who dies with the most toys in the end wins, that this life is all that you have, so live it up because in the end you just return to the ground. That would be the message of our own flesh and the culture. So a drum I continually beat as a pastor is think and live with eternity in view because this earthly life is extremely short compared to eternity. Even if you're a century old, a hundred years pales in comparison to eternity. So live this life now prepared for the life to come. Jesus is continually teaching on this area in his ministry. We see that as we track through one of the, one of the gospel accounts. James 4.14 says that life is but a mist. It's a vapor. It's quick. And while we sometimes forget that, do you know what shocks us back into remembering that? Tragedy. Tragedy. Unexpected and sudden tragedies. And in our day and age, we are constantly exposed to tragic events in this world. The saying is true when it comes to the media. If it bleeds, it leads. Because if it bleeds, it leads, and what leads is get what, what gets the clicks, the shares, the views, the ratings, gets our attention. Tragedies are regular occurrence in our world, and they have been since Genesis 3, since the fall of man, since this world was broken by sin 
And God's perfect design was broken by sin. Tragedies are not new in our day and age. I remember sitting in a classroom when the Challenger blew up. I remember freshman year in college walking down to the foyer and seeing the Oklahoma City bombing occurring on TV. I remember in 9-11 sitting over in a cubicle at State Farm wondering about my wife and our two small kids at home. When the tornado ripped through Washington, we were, were having service here, wondering what should we do using the tornado shelter that we had built back there in the bathrooms. So tragedies are not new. We're just constantly bombarded with them because of social media and our, and our addiction to uh, consumption of data and news and headlines. So whether it happened locally or globally, we hear about it. For instance, the shootings in churches, nightclubs, schools, workplaces, movie theaters, and everywhere else. We see the natural disasters of, of tornadoes and tsunamis and earthquakes and and so on. So listen to this excerpt from a recent Harvard Medical School article. Millions of people turn to their phones and, their, and devices for daily notifications of traumatic news. These instantaneous alerts offer little space for digestion and reflection. That harmful combination of speed and trauma can strike at our nervous systems, overwhelming us until we are too numb to comprehend the complex range of experiences flooding in over the last days, weeks, and years. And so numbness is often a response to the onslaught of traumatic news. And if we grow numb to it, we miss the opportunity to reflect on it, to learn from it, to consider our own mortality. To be reminded of the truth from James 4 that life is but a vapor. It is quick. Here today, gone tomorrow. I don't want us to be numb to the words of Jesus this morning. In this passage, Jesus is asked to comment on a tragedy that has recently occurred. And while the crowd is asking Jesus, why did this happen? And who's to blame for this? And questions such as those. Jesus answers a question that no one is asking, but should be asking when a tragedy occurs. Earthly tragedies should be pointing us toward eternal thinking and living. Earthly tragedies should be pointing us toward earthly thinking and living. May today, as we look at the teachings of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, may our hearts and minds be reminded of the brevity of life, the preciousness of life, and how eternal life is found only through faith in Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, we finished up chapter 13 or chapter 12. I want to look at verses uh, 15, 57 and 59 to help us get context. Jesus says again, Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to, to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hands you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus is saying that the wise person is one who settles out of court before you go see the judge. So spiritually speaking, the wise person will recognize their debt of sin, their inability to pay it back through good works, and, and they will instead... Look at the sufficient work of Jesus on the cross and resurrection and his offer to trust in him 
for eternal life. And the wise person will say, I'm not going to wait until tomorrow when tomorrow's not promised. I'm going to trust in Jesus today in the time that I've been given. I'm going to settle out of court with Jesus who is my advocate, not my adversary. So with that story helping us get context into Jesus continually teaching with eternal things in mind. Don't think earthly, think and live eternally. Let's look at verse 1 in chapter 13. At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So people are asking him to comment on this tragedy. And this tragedy is at the hands of evil man. Later on, Jesus will address another type of tragedy. But this one here is a result of evil. Pilate, the Roman governor, willing to do whatever it takes to maintain control and display power, ends up ordering the killing of Galileans on their way to worship at the temple. And the blood of their sacrifices that they had brought and their own blood are mixed in together. Wrong place, wrong time. We don't know much about the tragedy besides what is written here in Luke, verses 2 through 4. And he responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or these 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed, do you think that they are more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Notice where Jesus doesn't go. John Bloom writes this. He said nothing about a messianic deliverance of God's people from the humiliating Roman oppression and the grievous Gentile occupation of the promised land. He said nothing about the offense to God's glory in the, temple defile, in the temple's defilement. He said nothing about specific sins the Galileans may have committed to warrant God's allowing such humiliating deaths. Nothing that might reduce his hearers' fears that such a horror could befall them. He didn't even say anything about forgiving one's enemies. Jesus answers a question that no one is asking. The crowd is asking, why did this occur? And why did this happen to those people? And how can we avoid this? And Jesus instead is wanting to take the conversation to what should we personally do when we see tragedies occur? What if it had been me? What if it had been my blood mixed in with the worshipful sacrifice that I had brought? What if I had been one of those Galileans? If we're honest, sometimes in asking the why evil and why suffering, and those are not bad questions. They're not sinful questions. The psalmist ask those questions sometimes. But oftentimes, if we're honest, we're not going to find the answer to this, this side of heaven. Again, the question's not sinful. It's, also, it's often difficult to answer. But if we're honest, sometimes in asking the why questions following a tragedy, it keeps us from self-reflection. It keeps us from needed moments where we are faced with our own mortality to consider eternity. Earthly tragedies should be pointing our hearts toward eternal thinking. And notice while the crowd was just asking about the murder of the Galileans, 
Jesus brings up another tragedy. The tower in Siloam that fell and killed 18. Such a tragedy wasn't a result of evil, uh, of the evil of humanity. It was just simply a natural disaster. Life in a fallen world, no pun intended. When tragedies occur, whether locally or globally, whether the result is evil, the result is a broken world, it should lead us to sober self-reflection. Don't skip over that. The world wants us to skip over that. Don't skip over that. Verse 2 again, Jesus responds to the crowd with the question, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? He's going after the popular view that tragedies, disease, and evil are a result of personal sin. He's correcting this false belief in in the crowd that the Galileans were murdered for something wrong that they'd done in their life. It is the same wrong logic in John 9. Jesus sees a blind man from birth and his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The assumption is you pay for sin through tragedy or suffering. It is a law-based contract-type thinking. We think, if I do this, then you do that, God. If I obey you, then you keep me from life or keep keep my life from trouble. Or if I mess up, then lightning bolts come in my way. We wrongly think that some people are good and some people are bad, and we find it easy that God would allow bad things to happen to bad people, and 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 we we think that well good people should good things should happen to good people, and and of course we put ourselves in the good category because we, we can always find someone around us who's worse, Jesus asks again, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? Jesus doesn't say that these people were innocent or without guilt. He's saying they were not more guilty than others. All were and are guilty of sin. All are in debt because of our sin, including you and I. When Jesus is saying sinful here, he's talking about the idea of the debt of sin, which points us back to Luke 12, 57 through 59. This debt of sin that the wise person gets right with the judge before judgment day. So no one is born innocent of sin. No one is born good, so to speak. Michael talked about that last week. And earthly tragedies should lead us, even when they happen out there, away from us, and we are disconnected from them relationally, it should lead us to recognize our vapor-length life. Jesus is saying these tragedies didn't occur because of personal sin. It was not like the mythical cosmic scales were tipped in favor of one group and in rejection of another. And, And so Jesus is talking to a group of people who are still alive, who still have breath in their lungs, who didn't earn that breath, but have received that breath out of the common grace of God, a crowd similar to you and I, who are still alive. And he tells them twice, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. In the original Greek, Jesus is is talking about two different types of repentance there. A once and for all repentance, meaning when we are saved, made right with God through faith alone, by grace alone, and also a continuing, ongoing repentance. 
So if the first type of repentance is when we are justified, meaning made right with God, this type of repentance, the second type of repentance is when we are sanctified, when we grow to be more like Jesus. Salvation in Christ, where we are made holy by His grace, covered in His righteousness, a positional holiness by grace alone. Ephesians 2 talks about we are no, no longer objects or children of wrath, but we have received grace, so we have been adopted, brought into everlasting life in Christ, a once and for all repentance that leads us there, and then an ongoing repentance leading to sanctification in Christ where we grow up into holiness because that's who we are in Christ. We make progress. And repentance is through all of it. And what is repentance? It means where we have been in disagreement with the Lord, we agree with Him. We have a change of mind, which leads to a change of direction in your life. You turn around. You used to be walking toward sin and self. Now you're walking toward the Lord because you've been met with truth and grace. You walk toward the Lord. Repentance happens in our salvation and it's the ongoing posture of a believer. And repentance in life bears fruit. Where the heart has been transformed, it leads to actions of love and worship toward the Lord and love toward neighbor and toward other people. And in the next parable, Jesus is going to teach on that very truth. Throughout this short teaching, don't miss the urgency of Jesus' words. Why, why is he urgent here? Because this life is short. And people who have been fearfully and wonderfully made, including you, including me, they matter to him. They matter to him. Verses 6 through 9, and he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, Listen, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to them, Sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year, but if not, you can cut it down. There are three characters in the story. The vineyard owner or the man represents God. He's able to see fruit and determine when there is none. The vineyard worker or the gardener is Jesus, and the fig tree is both a symbol of Israel and a symbol of the individual and you and I. Let's talk fig trees for a minute. As a kid, I loved fig newtons. I feel kind of weird to say that publicly. Um, not sure why. Because I also like Chips Ahoy, and I'm not sure why I would have chosen the sleeve of Fig Newtons versus the row of Chips Ahoy. Anybody else? Will at that? Excellent. Fantastic. It's rare. We're rare. That's what I just noticed. That's a side note. Let's go back to the parable. Um, fig trees produced fruit annually, and normally it took them, how many years do you think, to produce? It normally took them three years to produce fruit. And these fig trees in this parable have hit their three-year mark and produced nothing. Time to cut them down. But the vineyard worker says, give it another year. Let me fertilize and care for them and see if they will produce fruit. But if they don't the fourth year, then cut them down. Now, we should not get stuck on that literal three or four year. Jesus is say, saying, simply saying, adequate time has passed to be fruitful. And yet fruit hasn't produced so what are some pieces of truth that we should learn from this parable? One is that inward faith in Christ should produce outward fruit. 
a fig tree is to produce figs. If your root, if the root of your life is in Christ, the fruit of your life will reveal that. Galatians 5 tells us when we are led by the Spirit, verse 22 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And now we hear that and think, oh man, this week I need to get working to, to start producing from the Lord. We want to produce some produce and as if it's on us. Jesus correctly teaches us in John 15 that the way we produce fruit is through abiding in Him, remaining connected to Him. Bearing fruit happens as we grow in our devotion to in love for Jesus. It doesn't happen in us trying to produce it on our own apart from Him, but actually through abiding in Him. Jesus tells us in John 15, apart from Him, we don't bear fruit. We can do nothing. It's through abiding in Him where we bear much fruit. But for these fig trees or these people, the lack of fruit in their life reveals that their inward, under-the-ground root is not in Christ. It's still in self. John the Baptist in Luke 13 tells us, he tells the, the crowd, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Meaning as you repent, as you agree with the Lord and walk in His ways, you'll bear fruit. It will show up in your life. And we all get that. Think of someone in your life right now. Whether it's someone you live with, work with, someone here, you see their way of life and you're like, boy, I, I see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I see the, the fruit happening in your life and it reveals that their inward faith in Christ, it, 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 it reveals their inward posture of repentance, their trust in Jesus. Now, what do we learn about the Lord through this parable? Well, the patience of God. He waited three years, gave a second chance. We serve a God of second chances. The love of God. Jesus, the vineyard worker, is pursuing the fruitless or lost tree. Do you see that? We, we serve a God who pursues the lost. Read Luke 15 if you need a refresher on that this week. We also see the justice of God. He wasn't cruel. He gave time for repentance to take place. And yet when it did not in the lifetime of the fig tree, it would be cut down. And don't think that the Son and the Father are in disagreement here. These attributes are all simultaneous in fashion. God's patience, God's love, God's just, justice in perfect unity in the Trinity. And all these attributes can be found in 2 Peter 3.9, which says, The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He is patient. He is loving, not wanting anyone to perish or spend eternity apart from Him. He is wanting all to come to repentance, including you. And yet some will perish because the wages of sin is, de is still death. And if someone rejects in this life Jesus and His atoning and sufficient work on the cross, then that rejection will continue into eternity. Loved ones, today is the day of grace, not judgment. Today is the day of salvation, not separation. Knowing we are met with grace should lead us to respond, not delay. And some of you have been delaying far too long. You just keep thinking that tomorrow is going to come. I've attended more candlelight vigils in my pastoral tenure than I've wanted to. Anything more than zero is more than I've wanted to. 
There was a stretch there where there was high school candlelight vigil one after another, year after year. You don't have to wait till tragedy. You don't have to wait till the candlelight vigil to trust in Jesus. One of the values of our area and our community, whether written or unwritten, is that of safety. It's a, it's a rural thing, I think. Safety doesn't mean immune from tragedy. And I'm not being doomsday, fire, brimstone, I got a prophetic thing. I'm not saying that. This is just life, and you all get it, and I get it. We get it. Tragedies are sobering reminders. Life is fragile. Eternity is long. Jesus is our only hope, and the time left to repent is short. It's short. Jesus leaves this this parable open-ended. He just stops. He awaits a response. You've graciously been given opportunity. Today is the salvation because tomorrow is not promised. This is the good news. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, yet prophesying of Jesus seven centuries before Jesus comes in the flesh, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. The good news of the gospel is that the tragedy of the cross is what leads to our healing, is what leads to our salvation. His punishment, our salvation, his wounds, our healing. The gospel is not promising a life free of trouble and tragedy and suffering. Rather, the gospel promises to us that that even in the midst of tragedy, Romans 8, starting in verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So there we see the tragedy of evil and the tragedy of just fallen world, everywhere in between. And then skipping to verse 36, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life is fragile. Eternity is long. Jesus is our only hope. The time left to repent is short. And listen, brothers and sisters, he is making all things new. Tragedy and suffering and evil, its days are numbered. Praise God. Its days are numbered. One day, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. Do you trust in him with your life? Not not point back to some card, some aisle, some card you filled out, some aisle you walked. Do you trust in Jesus today, present day? Is your life revealing that? I'm not being fire and brimstone guy. I'm simply just trying to communicate the urgency of Jesus' words to your heart and soul. This is not for someone else to hear. This is for you to hear and respond to. And respond to. The worship team could come up. What's the Lord speaking to you this morning? What's He asking of you? What's He calling you to? Is He 
calling you, we sang the song, is he calling you by name to turn? Respond to that. Is there some faithful action that he is calling you to this week, today, before you leave this building? Then do that. Father God, we trust you. We thank you that your spirit is alive and active that you're at work strengthening and building your church and you're at work in reaching us with the gospel. I pray for those who don't trust in you. I pray they would wholeheartedly surrender and give their their lives to you. I I thank you that you meet them with grace and that you receive them as your own. I thank you that you have pursued us. You continue to pursue us Lord, I pray that our lives would bear fruit. Those of us who are in Christ, I pray that our lives would bear fruit and that fruit would glorify you and you alone. Spirit, do what you do. And we trust and we are dependent upon you. We pray this in your name. Amen.